Kingdom Casts, the podcast that has in-depth discussions about things that really do not need to be discussed in depth. Warning, the Kingdom Cast podcast contains spoilers about comic books, movies, and entertainment in general, as well as anything else that crosses their minds. Please do not take any medical advice seriously, nor legal advice that they may or may not give out. For that matter, it's probably for the best that you take nothing that they say seriously. I'm Stan Daniel, and with me as always is Albert Marsh. Joining us once again is Sandra Swindle, who has gone completely dolphin-free. I'm Stan Daniel, and with me as always is Albert Marsh. So, Albert. Yeah. How was your 4th of July? I worked all weekend. Oh, bummer. You're wearing a mask and gloves and everything where you work, right? Yeah. Good. How many people are coming in without a mask or gloves? Not too many. Yeah, I've noticed that over the weekend. We had to, we had to make a Walmart trip. And what we've been doing is we've done online ordering a couple of times, but this time we had to go into Walmart. And I did not look forward to that at all. But out of everybody inside Walmart, I'm going to say on Thursday or Friday of last week, out of everybody inside of Walmart, I saw maybe four people without a mask on. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, it it really was. It it shocked me. Now, there were a number of people that had their noses out of masks and such, but hell, at least they're trying. (laughs) At least they're participating. (laughs) I take it you weren't shopping at the Tuscaloosa Walmart. No, I was not shopping at the Tuscaloosa Walmart. I was shopping at Trustville Walmart. <laughs> I, had, I had one person like yell and cuss at me over it. And that's about it. What? You actually had a person yell and cuss at you. Yeah. So you know how when it went into effect, it went into effect like at like a five o'clock on a Monday or something like that. Yeah. Late that evening on Monday, a married couple and I think there's one or two kids. I don't know came in. It seemed to me the man and woman were just looking for arguments about masks or something. I don't know what the deal was. The uh, the wife started going in on a, the 16-year-old girl that was working with me that night. Good Lord. I didn't really put I sort of just got him, sort of interrupted him to, to do something different with it. Or just put it to a stop. And the husband started yelling and cussing at him at me. I kicked him out of the store. So that was good that. job. Good well, job. Yeah, good. I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> I just have to wonder, do these same people complain and cuss people out when the restaurants tell them they can't come in if they're not wearing shirt or shoes? Wearing a mask for a lot of people is like a political thing. Well, is what it's, that, it's what that amounts to. They may think it's a political thing, but it's actually a... It's actually... It's not a political thing, but nowadays everything is a political thing, even things that aren't political things. Did y'all have a mandatory order on mask wearing? Jefferson County did one. Oh. Uh, Governor Ivy came out and said she wasn't going to do one because she can't enforce it and why she even gave a press conference, I have no idea. The city of Birmingham did it first a month or so back. Jefferson County did it over the whole county. Before we move on, I just want to say this. After we went to Walmart, there is a Chick-fil-A immediately adjacent to Walmart. It's, of course, a nightmare to get in and out of. Before we pulled out of the parking lot, my wife had made our food order from Chick-fil-A because she really, it's been a little while, so she really wanted some Chick-fil-A. I have got to tell you, I thought it was going to be 
an effort and a half. I thought we were going to be in that damn parking lot for over an hour, but the people that are there serving you God's chosen chicken sandwich, they got their shit together, man. They've had their stuff together way before this ever happened. They've always done this mess. Yeah, they they are just knocking it out. It looks like a nightmare, but it all moves really, really, really fast. (laughs) So... (laughs) (laughs) we wouldn't be in the trouble we were in now if Popeye's hadn't gone after God's chosen chicken sandwich (laughs) so wrong so wrong (laughs) I've waited a week to share that with y'all because I'm very impressed with Mm. (laughs) Chick-fil-A and I also gotta tell you something else these are trying times and you you know you, you do what you can you keep your spirits up and I have been coming to terms with the fact, or I have learned that my overestimation of humanity cannot be underestimated. <laughs> and that that gets proven to me almost a daily basis now. But then there's Christian Cooper of Marvel Comics. Do y'all know who I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Formerly of Marvel Comics. Formerly. I, is he not still with them? No, he hasn't been with them for a while. He is an outstanding individual. Man, my hat's off to him because he has more patience and forgiveness in him than I I think I could ever muster. Are you familiar with this, Albert? No. Yeah, I think you may be, but you're not fully familiar with it. Remember the woman in the park, in Central Park, that was choking this dog on a leash? Are letting the oh, dog. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know yeah. what you're talking about. This man, he was a black man. He was Christian Cooper. And he formerly worked for Marvel Comics. He was out there bird watching. And he you know, said, ma'am, your, your dog's not supposed to be off a leash. And she just lost it and took out her phone and called 911 and said, black man's attacking me. And all of this, it just, she's insane. Over the course of that, after the press reported it, the vet, the Humane Society, whoever it was, they relieved her of the dog, which apparently she had just recently adopted. And uh, because of the way she's, I mean, she's, I'm looking at a picture of her now and she's got that leash around that dog's neck and lifting him up like it's a noose. She lost her job. She's been publicly humiliated and everything. And then New York's DA decides that they're going to press charges against her for calling 911, a fake call. Man, I mean, yeah, she did. And that could have ended horribly. That could have ended horribly. Had cops ran in there and something like that, that that could have been another horrible national tragedy. It turns out that Christian Cooper has said the DA can do what they want or how they want, but he's not interested in filing charges against her or anything else. He believes she's been punished enough. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, you know, faith and humanity restored. He is... Like I said, he's much more forgiving than I believe I could be on that situation. Yeah, yeah I saw the, that. Was he a writer or editor at Marvel? He was an editor. His exact statement to the Times was, so if the DA feels the need to pursue charges, he should pursue charges, but he can do that without me. I wish I had his tolerance and forgiveness for something like that. Yeah. Uh, especially in this atmosphere. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, we got some news here. We've got things that are actually a little more directly related to comic books. The Far Side is back. I saw that. Yep, and he's doing it all digitally. <laughs> I thought he swore off digital. No, digital's the reason he's doing it. Yeah, oh. he's just drawing them on his iPad and popping them out there daily. 
He said he had stopped really drawing much of anything outside of like Christmas cards and stuff like that. Then he got a tablet or art tablet or something and he started doing it. He thought it was great and it's just what he wants to do with it. Yeah. Bam, you do the outlines, hit a few colors, and wham, you're ready to go to print or online. I, I miss the far side. I used to really like their daily calendars. Oh, yeah. His sense of humor is right. His sense of humor is out there. He is a weirdo. Well, that was, I was about to say, I feel very simpatico with his sense of humor. He always makes me laugh. It's so, like, bizarre. <laughs> he is beyond unique. Yeah. Unique. I mean, there's there's been plenty that I've laughed at going, oh, I really shouldn't laugh at this. <laughs> I'm glad he's getting back on there. I hadn't I hadn't heard that. Oh, I heard that the the rumor is that they are going to do a an Echo TV series for Disney Plus, which I find an odd choice, but okay. I don't. I don't. She's Native American. Yes, okay. she has Native American background, and she's deaf. Disney Plus is. I, I thought she was Latino. I thought she was Native American. Well, she she may be a, a Native American. Anyway. She could uh, be both. <laughs> that's, that's true. This is true. There had been like some kind of rumor about it, but then David Mack, the, I guess, co-creator, yeah. said something about it. Like it was a kind of spilling the beans, so to speak. But Echo um, is Native American. Yes, Echo is Native American. Her name is Maya Lopez. Okay. Uh, now on the on the call sheet we read off, I think last week on the last mm-hmm. podcast, she uh, it, it calls for Native American or I believe Mexican national, and I thought that was odd that it said Mexican national instead of Hispanic. Of course, I could have been reading a report on a report about the call sheet and not know it. The one I'm looking at says Latinx. Yep. There we go. Do, do you just say Latinx, or is there a certain way to pronounce that? I think I've always heard of it Latinx. Did y'all see they cast Batwoman? Yeah, no. I saw that. Yep, yep. I am all for this. <laughs> I don't know. I'm probably still not going to watch it. They've leaked dialogue from it. I don't know if they intended to leak dialogue from it, but I read the dialogue, and not only was it, they, they leaked like a couple of pages worth of dialogue out there. And one comes from when they first encounter her. She's got the bat suit. It was the standard setup between, you know, we want the bat suit back. It's uh, Luke. Luke Fox, we want the bat suit back, and they're feeling her out. And then there's another one where she's in the bat suit, and Luke Fox is helping her, apparently talking over the microphone in her ear or whatever. That was some funny dialogue. That was actually very funny dialogue. Based on that, I'm going to watch the, at least the first couple. I tried the first couple with... Um, Ruby Rose. Yeah, with Ruby Rose. I gotta tell you, I do not like heroin chic. And Ruby Rose has struck me the two or three things i've seen her in including batwoman has that sort of chic and i i I never like anything that that look that almost says it's cool to do drugs if they're Mm -hmm. the right drugs i i just don't i don't like that setup yeah her name is javicia leslie is going to be in the star starring role okay when when are they going to start filming Apparently, there's already a script out there. Okay. I don't know if they're back filming yet. Because I was about to say, because if they're filming in, maybe they're filming in Canada, but I don't think they're filming in L.A. Yeah. No big shock here across the border at Marvel Studios is more and more is leaked about Black Widow, where the actress, Natasha's sister, is going to take over the role of Black Widow. I don't think that comes as any surprise. I think we called that a while back. In fact, I was Russia. surprised. Yeah, I was surprised that people were acting surprised at it. I thought, no, we we discussed this a while back that clearly she's going to be the new Black Widow. 
and that she's kind of being set up for it. And uh, something leaked where Scarlett Johansson had said she had passed the baton over to her or she got to pass the baton over to the new Black Widow, Florence Pugh, Yelena Belova. Mm -hmm. The YouTubers and the online crowd have been hitting it hard that, yeah, she's going to be the new Black Widow. But I really did not, I I really did not think that that was a surprise. Did y'all? Not really. Once they put that character out there, I assumed that you'd probably stick around. I mean, it ain't really the surprise that they're doing it. The surprise would be like if they do much with the character. Oh, no, you'll see her pop up and everything. Uh, Look, right now, and we talk about this a little bit each week, but they're really trying to figure out how to move forward. Not just Disney, but everybody. All of the movie studios are. This has been devastating. And I mean, it breaks my heart to drive by our local theater here, and it's empty. Parking lot's empty, and there's no real good call on when you can go back. Because while they're opening the while they're reopening the theme parks, and dear Lord, I've been watching Disney's trial reopenings uh, at Disney World in, in Orlando. They've got this down to an art form down there, but it's not something you can necessarily do inside of a theater. Mm. Because the personnel are not equipped to deal with this, like, say, Disney Park employee personnel are. It's just something you're going to, you're, you're asking minimum wage individuals to, like Albert said, get yelled at, get cussed at and such. Mm -hmm. Now I make more minimum wage. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the theater people. (laughs) Disney is going to go ahead with opening despite the the mess in Florida now? Or I thought they moved it again. No, Disneyland moved it. Okay. Disneyland moved it. Universal's been open for about two or three weeks. And, well, no, yeah, two weeks. God, really? Yeah, Universal's been open for two weeks, and there are no crowds down there. Disney has been, like I told you before, when I I said, look, more than likely when Disney attempts a reopen, they're going to use the pass holders as guinea pigs and the cast members and their families. That's exactly what they're doing. They've reopened the last two or three days to the pass holders and the cast members. And so it's basically a very vacant situation. I haven't seen any reports from Hollywood Studios, but I did see a report from Animal Kingdom Avatar's ride, Flight of Passage, that ride is always, at. you're lucky if you only wait an hour to get into this ride. And that ride, the last two days, has been at uh, less than 10 minutes. Even reopening and trying it out on pass holders and cast members, the parks are still relatively empty. Now, Disney World reopens full blast to the general public. Well, not to the general public. You couldn't go up and get a ticket and walk into the gate, but they're reopening to people that had previous reservations, all of the pass holders, people who had already scheduled their vacation dates as such. They're going to reopen Sunday, July the 11th. Mm. And that'll be their, that'll be their fir- first full blown test. But I've, Watch several of the media members and special YouTubers that they've invited to go around the park. They're on top of it. Like every four to five feet, there's a hand sanitizer station. Uh, everybody was applauding the way the setup was where when you parked, you came through, they took your temperature. You're passing through uh, metal detectors now, so they don't necessarily have to stop and go through everybody's bags. You see beforehand, If you were carrying a bag, a big zipped bag, you would have to go over to a separate section and have security guards open it up and go through it. And now apparently they've bypassed that. 
I would feel relatively safe in there, but it's still, is it taking a risk on whether or not you're going to get COVID? Yeah, but I also took that risk when I went to Walmart. It's gotten so bad in the Southeast that they cannot properly track it anymore down here. Oh, no, they they couldn't track it to begin with. They do the thing they're like, well, we could, we know based on how we do it all and how we, you know, how they did Like, we can tell that like 10 cases come from this one store or something like that. Yeah. And they said they can't do that down here anymore. It said it's too too crazy. No. See, that's the thing about Florida, which is why I'm surprised that Disney is going to open up, is because they flatly refuse to give out the stats anymore. Oh, I yeah. Mean, when they fired the woman that was head of that. Right. Because she blatantly would not publish falsified information. And that's the state of Florida. That's not Walt Disney World, but that's the state of Florida. But also the companies like Walt Disney World and Universal, when you buy the ticket now, you're essentially signing a waiver as you buy the ticket saying that you cannot hold them accountable for the COVID-19 virus. No, you can't. No more than you can hold Walmart accountable for it. No, I think at, th- at this point, if you go to a theme park, you, you're, it's your fault. Yeah. The same thing. Well, yeah. If you go to a beach, it's your fault. You know. But if you go to Walmart, is it your fault? Depends. If it's Walmart, yeah, it's probably your fault if you're going to Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that thing where Walmart is going to turn some of their parking lots into drive-in theaters? I've read something about that. I, I've also read a thing about ah, now the drive-in theaters are going to make a comeback. Yeah. And yeah, it's a it's an opportunity for them, but it, because the theaters are really going to have to rethink their format. I'm telling you, I keep saying it and I keep saying it. I do not like being the pessimist in anything. I'm I, I'm I'm being a realist when I say this because I've been watching this. I look at the numbers. And I'm like, Black Widow's not going to come out in the theaters, and neither is Wonder Woman. They're going to have to find a way to stream them, charge twenty dollars for them, or what have you to go into people's homes because I just don't, I just don't see it happening. This has not hit home with many Americans yet. Part of being an American is believing that you're invulnerable to everything until you learn that you're not. We're about to learn that we're not in a major way. And when this comes home and it hits one out of every 10 people, and at this point it's going to, then maybe we'll start taking the situation a little more seriously or wishing we had done what Finland and the rest of the countries had done. But I just do not see Wonder Woman and Black Widow and Mulan coming out in the theaters this year. Well, maybe not this year. I don't think they're going to wait for the release either. I think they want that money. And if it comes down to it, that paying, getting each household to pay twenty nine ninety nine for a special streaming of Mulan or Wonder Woman or Black Widow, then that's what it's going to be to shore up those third quarter earnings on everybody's behalf. Which brings us to this, Sandra, and I don't mean to, I, and I, I hate talking about this because it's a down subject, but it relates to everything and it relates what we're talking to. Did y'all read where some of the comic books that Marvel said were only going to be released digitally will now have a floppy copy release? Yes, I did see that. Yeah, I saw a little today. bit about that. What's y'all's take on it? Why are they yeah. doing that? Well, I think they probably got some flack from it. Because I know I was not happy when I saw that. And I don't even read most of those titles. But I just, Well, did, I, you, did you write an email to them? Uh, I didn't. No, I, th- I think probably what they realized is that if they did those last 
because a lot of it's just like mini series wrapping up and, and series wrapping up that they realized they were better off if they weren't to make money or even come close to making any money off of some of that stuff, they'd have to do physical copies. Because people that collected those series physically, especially the low-selling stuff, they're not going to drop money for a digital comic. And those are the only people that would buy it. Bingo. That's what I think. Yeah. I think that they've already released them, uh, a few of them digitally, and they saw that digital was not bringing in the money at all, and that the only way to recoup any money off of these products has already been out is to go ahead and do a physical release. That makes sense. I really think that's it. The other thing is, like, they know what the orders were for those times. I mean, those books had already been ordered. Yeah. They knew the print copies were going to bring this amount of money. Well, they knew that the stores were going to pay that amount of money for them. Whether or not they sell off the shelves is another thing. There is. That's another thing, but I don't think Marvel really cares at this point. I mean, I don't think most of the publishers really care about if the stores eat them, as long as the stores aren't going under because of it. Those miniseries, any store owner or any whoever's doing the ordering is going to know what to order on those. For all these people that keep screaming about digital is going to save us and digital is going to do this and digital is going to do that, no, it's not. I think that was... That might have been a test for them to figure out if what happened with, like, trolls was going to happen with these, and obviously it didn't. No, those those are two different worlds right there. And they're not. I mean, we're, we've been in agreement with you on this. Yeah, yeah. Too. I, I know who you're getting at. I know the online people that you're getting at. Yeah, this is the comic books, the comic book industry has it is now live or dies by the floppies. And DC is, I, I'm sorry, AT&T Publications is doubling down by this Harley Quinn announcement and the other releases that are going digital only. They're really heavily moving into it, and they're showing more and more signs that basically all of the fears that the retailers have been having or voicing about AT&T, well, yeah, this looks to be the direction they're moving in. This is becoming a more and more problematic situation. And this was the first week, I believe, that Diamond Comics did not ship out DC Comics floppies. But they did ship out their graphic novels and all, as they'll continue to. And also Diamond's overseas distributors, UK distributors, will continue to distribute the floppies and all of the other DC publications in Great Britain and Europe. Uh, AT&T, I think, slash DC is obviously making a mistake with this Oh, there are a lot of mistakes being made here, and they're all across the board. And this is interesting times, interesting times. And I hate it, too, because we finally got a Batman comic back. (laughs) Well, we got a a bunch of Batman comics. Well, yeah, but I'm talking about Batman's main title is is very readable and engaging. It's actually about Batman. So, Did y'all see about Rob Liefeld's Snake Eyes comic? God almighty, 36 very six covers. covers. Oh my gosh. But they're not all Rob Liefeld variant covers. No, they're like store exclusive stuff. Okay. Yeah, I don't... IDW has had a serious problem with Transformer and G.I. Joe sales. Out of all the properties in the world to try to respond to Twitter concerns with... Those were not the two properties to use to do it, and IDW has lost a lot of money. Yeah. And the licensing of G.I. Joe and Transformer, which, all things considered, should be evergreen properties. Well, for instance, have you seen the Netflix trailer for 
Transformers Siege. Yeah, it looks really, it looks really good. It, it does. It looks really good. And you know what looks really good about it? I recognize every damn Transformer in it. Yeah. <laughs> None of them are turning into animals. None of them are, you know... Beast Wars was a really, really great show. Every So you keep saying. And... <laughs> But, I mean, I, I recognized all of the Transformers in it. They sounded and they acted like the traditional Transformers, and I kind of think that's the key to it. Stick to what it is. It's a bunch of robots fighting a civil war, and they turn into cars and planes and other vehicles, and sometimes tape recorders. So, yeah, G.I. Joe has also faced that situation. That last reboot of G.I. Joe was just not up to par. Yeah. Larry Hama's Real American Hero continues... It's G.I. Joe. That's G.I. Joe, what he's writing. Of course, he, hell, I'll go ahead and say it. For all matters and purposes, he created the G.I. Joe team. He continues to see it through, but IDW has suffered tremendously by screwing around with Transformers and G.I. Joe, and hopefully they can regain some footing here on that and get their sales back up because there's no reason those two properties should not be making yeah. money. Now, I understand trying to sell G.I. Joe to other countries is an uphill battle. You know, we could pretend like there's a Canadian in charge of it. <laughs> Speaking of licenses, Marvel's got Alien and Predator. I was going to say. Well, that was that... just a matter of time. Really? Was it, though? I, yeah. Disney owns Fox. Uh yeah, that's right. They do, don't they? Yeah. I mean, how how did we, did we not have this conversation way back when? Disney owns Fox. There's no way. Once those licenses for comic book licenses for Aliens and Predator came up, of course they're going to be tossed to Marvel. They'll be tossed to IDW, too. <laughs> well, Dark Horse probably just didn't have the money to, to deal with it. I mean, they've been shut down for months. Well, it's not license, just... If the license came up, they're like, yeah, we'll just let it go. That was going to happen whether or not there was a COVID crisis. That was just a matter of time because they are now in the Disney pantheon. Disney has them. They'll take a break. I'm going to say that the next big movie or cinematic events you get from Aliens or Predator will probably be in five years' time because they'll want everything else to cool down off of it. Why? They don't know how to make a good one. Of course they know how to make a good one. Then why won't they make a good one? They just got the properties, man. <laughs> I mean, the Fox deal just closed last year, dude. It don't matter. <laughs> you don't make a movie like that in a year. You take your time and you look. Look, I'm still wanting the Planet of the Apes section of Animal Kingdom at the amusement parks. Oh, no. <laughs> I want them to go full-fledged with that. They better do that Planet of the Apes musical. <laughs> From chimpan A to chimpanzee. <laughs> uh, Sandra, do you know what we're talking about there? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, HBO Max put the Supermans on there. Oh, did they? I saw that. I saw that. Yep. Yep. They got the Supermans on there. And while we're on the subject of DC Universe News, did you see that everybody in the world is now going to be Batman? I saw that. I saw we got about 15 Batman, 17 different cinematic universes, one Superman, no flashes. This doesn't smell of all, it smell like desperation at all, does it? <laughs> what, none of the other superheroes are working. What are we going to do? More Batman. <laughs> 
Somebody get Adam West on the phone. He's dead. Somebody get Adam West's estate on the phone. <laughs> oh my gosh. They brought back Grand Moff Tarkin. We can do it here. <laughs> I'm serious. And not all of these. People have just lost their crap over a lot of this. And not all of this is, con none of this is really confirmed. We haven't even confirmed that Michael Keaton has done anything but talk to Warner Brothers. Yeah. You know, nothing has been signed. And Affleck's back for the Snyder Cut. For the love of God, why don't you just, is there anything else we can do for the Snyder Cut? And we quit calling it the Snyder Cut and just say Snyder's making a Justice League movie that has nothing to do with the Justice League movie he made before <laughs> that Joss Whedon stepped in on. But I guess we'll know in that DC fandom thing, whatever they want to call it. Oh, they stopped DC Daily. That was the other thing. Yeah. Yeah, no need for AT&T to communicate directly with the public. <laughs> Everyone's just going to make everything up else. That, that's else right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll tell you what you need to know when you need to know it. <laughs> Let's talk about a couple of comic books here. Like you said, Albert, they've released 20 Batman books this week. They didn't really. They released Batman Detective and... Um, the now beleaguered Warren Ellis's Bat book. What is it? Batman's, Batman's Grave. Grave. Batman's Grave. Yeah, okay. Talk about Batman's Grave first. I didn't read that. I didn't get around to reading it. So, you know, give us the rundown and the review. It may be the funniest Batman book ever. Uh, <laughs> Alfred's still, still on, on, pretty hilarious on, in it. On purpose, right? Please yeah, tell on me on purpose. It's, okay. So the General Sulphur, I think is his name. <laughs> so, so Batman beat him up and was going to torture him to get info out of so batman's got him tied up and he's beat up and he leaves and here comes gordon and these two government guys yeah gordon's like i'm gonna bring him in the government guys go how about we take him in and you just go wait outside at your car and, and gordon's like I, I got you okay i'm going outside and then when he walks out the two government people are talking to themselves and one pulls out their gun and goes listen then this guy's like out cold they're like we're just going to say he, he tried to take your gun and we're just going to shoot him. <laughs> and then later, Batman and Gordon are talking and Batman goes, what happened to Sulphur? He goes, oh, he tried to take a gun from one of the dudes, so they shot him. And Batman <laughs> goes, oh, I see. <laughs> so the government's over there killing people, bad guys for no good reason. So that's pretty good. What's your overall score on that? I know I've been giving it like fours and fives. It's been a yeah, great I, I actually gave this issue like straight fives. I'll make it a point to read this. I, I still want to. We're allowed to give a Warren Ellis book straight fives. I don't know anymore. <laughs> yeah, you can. <laughs> it does. I'm gonna matter. tell you some other some stuff happened in some other communities this week that makes all this comic book stuff seem like junior high garbage. You said events and other situations, Albert. What other situations? Yeah. Well, I I play a lot of fighting games like Street Fighter, Tekken, King Fighters, Mortal Kombat. Yeah. So there's the fighting game community, and then there's a community, uh, you know, the Smash Brothers games? Yeah. They are their own community. They're not part of fighting games. They're not part of anything else. Yeah. They may, now, when they have big tournaments, they'll put Smash Brothers in there because the people that are part of that community are part of their own separate thing. There's a, it's a huge community. They set their own tournaments up, do their own thing, and it turns out like they're just a bunch of people. <laughs> oh, no. Dozens of them are, apparently. It's just one thing after another. 
And that, and that community, Smash Brothers community, was a uh, was always sort of on the outskirts of social normalcy. interacting and normalcy and, and really decency. One thing happened, and it happened in the fighting game community as well. But the Smash Brothers stuff, it was just one thing after another. Oh dear God, I hadn't even heard of any of this going on. No, because it's its own self-contained thing. Well, you it was just—it was just nonstop. Nintendo actually sort of put out a thing that said, "Hey, we're not part of any of this," and they're really not. They do—they don't do a whole lot with stuff like that. Every once in a while, they'll get involved with something, but as far as Nintendo goes, they let those tournaments exist to do their own thing, and that's it. Oh, oh my God. Is that why I'm seeing so many weird Mario and Luigi memes? Uh, I don't know about that. It just seems like in the past month, there's been an influx of Mario and Luigi memes that I simply do not understand. Now, this all happened within like the past week. Oh, okay. Well, then no. This was just just... like one thing happened, and all of a sudden it was like everybody came out the woodwork to let everyone know what's going on and who's doing it to who. And it's just one nonstop thing after another. I cannot freaking wait for the sex robots to go online. That way we that'll, don't have that'll to. That'll probably just make things worse. How would it make things worse? You, you know, there you, you buy no, it. Because it would, it would damage people psychologically. Oh. It, would make like, it, it doesn't damage people psychologically? Yeah, even if you take <laughs> out of it, just being able to act out some of this stuff, like it's not going to do these people good mentally. I don't care what they do with their toasters. I do care what they do with kids. That That's just, oh, God. Well, thanks for the cheerful, upbeat report on the gaming community, Albert. Oh, it's uh, hard. It's, just the, it's the worst. What, the gaming community? Oh, it's terrible. It's always been awful. Before there was Comicsgate, I mean, that came out of Gamergate. So, yeah. That was dumb crap. What is that game I play, Albert? They, they've got like four and five. It deals with the swords. Oh, uh, Kingdom Hearts? No, no, I know what Kingdom Hearts is. It's the it's the online fighting game with the swords. Soul, Soul Blade. Soul Calibur. Soul Calibur. Yeah. Soul Cal- I love Soul Calibur because, Sandra, you can design your own characters. I haven't played it in a while because I, I just don't have time to play video games. I would love to. I'd love to finish the latest Star Wars game, and I'm psyched up about the new Star Wars game coming up. But Soul Calibur... You could design your characters to look whatever you wanted them to look like. Yeah, you could put a lot of time and effort into it. My niece, she would design all the Disney princesses. She would fight with Disney princesses, and she'd be so thrilled with it. But me, I was a strategist because I would go online and fight and climb in the tournament. I knew exactly what to do. I designed my Soul Calibur character to look exactly like Sarah Palin, and I named her Sarah Palin. (laughs) And that would guarantee me almost the first two kills right out of the gate because they'd either be yelling and cussing at me or laughing their asses off. <laughs> and I could just pow, pow, just like that. And then the third kill was up for grabs. <laughs> <laughs> but as I understand what you're saying, Albert, is it's evolved somewhat since then. <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> that the assholery has, you know, gone on to levels that I couldn't even dream of. I only play against Brazilians in 20-year-old <laughs> fighting games. <laughs> You're joking, but that's exactly who I play against. <laughs> uh, my horse's name in Red Dead Redemption was Distraction. 
See, I like that. That's a simple concept. Be a cowboy. <laughs> Walk around and shoot people. <laughs> That's very straightforward to me. <laughs> Let's talk about Detective number 1023. Writer Tomasi, artist Brad Walker. Tomasi's doing what Tomasi always does. He writes good Batman stories. You need the stories to be standalone because Tom King has ordered a Catwoman waifu pillow and is running the main comic book. Not a problem. Tomasi's your man. You need the stories to recognize what's going on in Tinian's Batman for a big Joker event crossover. Not a problem. Tomasi's still your man. Uh, am I wrong, Albert? No, he does real good. Tomasi, when he sort of came into his own, that was back when he was doing Green Lantern Corps. Jeff yeah. Johns was doing his prolific run, run on Green Lantern. Green Lantern, yes. So Tomasi developed as a writer into a great writer during that. So having to sort of play second fiddle to an extent to someone else's stuff, it's one of his strengths and one of his one of the better strengths a writer can have. Really, I, I don't there's even... only at any time there's only just a few top writers, and everyone else sort of has to play second fiddle to them. He's just probably the best at it. I don't think he's playing second fiddle when it comes to Batman. I think during King's run, they needed a book that actually featured Batman yeah. in it. And Tomasi was the man. He was there. He's something very few in the comic book industry nowadays is. He's both consistent and reliable. And even more than that, he's a good, solid storyteller. So this is kind of a lead in to the Joker War situation. Uh, and it's a tie-up to the, uh, or it's beginning to tie up the Two-Face storyline that's been going on. I gave the writing a four. I gave the art a four, even though I don't like Batman's eye design on this. But it's purposeful. The design is purposeful, so still, I gave the art a four. And the dynamic a three. My score was 3.7 on this. I gave the writing a four and the art and dynamic a three. It's okay art. Like, it's, it just didn't really do anything. So, But the writing was the strong point of the book to me. Always it is. All right, the final Bat book to round out this week is the big Bat book. It's Batman number 94, writer Tinian, and artists on it are March and Albuquerque. And this sets up the Joker War. This rounds out the last storyline, sets up stroke, uh, the Joker War. It's stout. I noticed there are certain comic book websites out there that seem to be King apologists, and I don't think they're giving Tinian his due. The truth is, Tinian writes Batman, and he's not writing some wet dream Catwoman fanfic. While I opposed, and I still oppose, the death of Alfred, Tinian plays that well into the story, almost so much that I think that is a major component to the Joker War. There's something there for Alfred. I just don't know how it works into any of this. Yeah, dare we dream that he's, you know, he's not dead and he's back or something like this. But yeah, he's, Tinian is handling that situation wonderfully and yeah. and playing off of it. Is the detective, I know the detective's last name was Baker, and that's got to be a reference to Baker Street, because the detective is the equivalent of Sherlock Holmes, isn't he? Yeah, and the designer was Moriarty. Yeah, I get that. That's cute, but they're, it's kind of problematic. They've had Batman cross paths with Sherlock Holmes before. There's a Sherlock Holmes that exists and or used to exist inside DC before New 52, and he's crossed paths with him before. And I understand the want to do that, but in my book, it's better to leave Sherlock out of it. I appreciate that they at least 
change the name and change the dynamic so it's not directly Sherlock. Batman has billions, his gadgets, uh, analytical computer programs, and the entire Justice League at his disposal. Sherlock has his mind. And given that, Sherlock's going to come out ahead each time. Now, having said that, because I'm a Sherlock fan, first and foremost, this is Batman's book again, and for the first time in years, I'm interested and I'm entertained. It's safe to go back into Gotham with Batman's main title again. I gave the writing a five, the art of four, the dynamic a five. My score on Batman number 94 surprises me because it's 4.7, and I'm actually looking forward to the Joker War as tired as I am of the Joker. Yeah, that was my score, too. Uh, he even does a good job, even when he had Batman and Catwoman refer to each other as Bat and Cat. Yeah. I mean, it, it, he handled it better than King ever handled that. Yeah, it was just kind of a nod situation. Yeah. And if you watch, there's signals going off in Detective. It looked as though the Mad Hatter and Hugo were getting ready to go to where we see them at in Batman. Yeah. Because that was not a coincidence. That was everything in those rooms bore a striking resemblance to where we end up seeing the two characters in Batman in the background. This week, all three of the Batman books, we both consider hits. Yep. I give Tom King his due on the things that I thought he did really well in, but I don't understand some of these websites that Tinian stuff is far superior. Are we all Catwoman fans? Well, that's and it's just not it. bad like to it, be a When cat. people were, were, were like going, you know, it was the best run ever. Like to me, it always just read really bad Batman Catwoman fan fiction. Yeah, to me too. I'm enjoying this much more. Yeah, I'm enjoying this much more. I just want to say a real quick word about Superman number 23. I read it too. Brian Michael Bendis. The artist on it was McGuire, and I love seeing McGuire on anything. Tim's was also on it. Tim's is good, but I just love McGuire because he brings a humane expression to the characters. My commentary on Superman number 23 reads as follows. What? What the fuck? <laughs> no, really. Someone explained this to me. <laughs> I gave the writing a one, the art a four, and the dynamic a one. My score on Superman number 23 was two. <laughs> Yeah, I don't understand why I have so many plot points that have to go on between Superman and action, and we're, we're just going to do a Doctor Fate and some demon thing. I, I don't... I don't know, and like, most of the issue wasn't, wasn't anything. Most of the issue was Superman just talking. And it doesn't even sound like Superman talking. Yeah. It really does not. This is... Yeah, I think it's just a hot mess, and hopefully Bendis will be off it soon, and we can enjoy his Harley Quinn on Justice League. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why Harley Quinn would be on just I mean, Harley Quinn is a murderer. Am I incorrect about that? She's a mass murderer. Hey, did you hear that Black Panther and Agents of Wakanda and a couple of Empire tie-ins have been canceled? A couple of more Empire tie-ins? Uh, yeah, I've been, uh, I didn't read the specifics, but I'm, I've been seeing where they've been slowly trimming that thing down. Sandra, we were talking about this, weren't we? Yes. Uh, yeah, these are even more trim downs. Agents of Wakanda, I didn't know where that was going to begin with. I didn't think that was a good story. I it was going to the cancellation line. Yeah. <laughs> it was running. It was <laughs> It was running as fast as it could to the cancellation line. I don't know. <laughs> Black Panther, Agents of Wakanda is on the chopping block, and so is Invasion of Wakanda, the Empire tie-in. And I, you're going to see more at the chopping block. They're, they're trying to figure out how they're going to make back some money here. 
Marvel's publication unit is designed to actually make money on what it sends out. And if something's not making money, it's just not going to be published anymore. I think part of the deal is it got sidetracked by the COVID. Whatever momentum it... Oh, everything! I know that a lot of people say it didn't have, weren't excited about it or whatever, but whatever momentum Empire had was immediately whacked by... Every decision going forward on everything from now on is going to be impacted by COVID. Everything. Empire didn't have much uh, momentum to start with anyway. Right. I I mean, we weren't jumping up and down about it. I didn't care for the... uh, I I liked the very first recap of the Kree-Scroll War. I didn't like the issue that came out two weeks ago. Did you read the Fantastic Four number zero? From this week? Yes. Yeah. Oh. Yes. You did? I did. I read Fantastic Four Empire number zero. I wouldn't have if it just didn't turn out that I had time to read it. And I enjoyed it in as much that it was a Fantastic Four story. I thought it was a cute, fun Fantastic Four story. And had it been an annual or a side issue or something like that or just a one-off issue, I think it would have served a far better purpose than tying into the overall Empire situation. I enjoyed it much more than I did the Avengers number zero Empire. I think the Avengers number zero actually had something to do with the event. And this one, it didn't have much to do with the event. It was a fun one-off and those kids are going to play a role. You think so? Yeah. I I just enjoyed it as a one-off Fantastic Four story. If Empire was not occurring at all, I would be highly recommending this book to Fantastic Four people. And if you wanted to jump on and get a feel for what Fantastic Four is like, this is it. Dan Slott writes it. I have a large problem with Slot on Iron Man. And his Fantastic Four regular series is kind of slow. But this one shot, this is what the Fantastic Four is about. These are the type of problems they solve. If it w- had nothing to do with Empire, I'd, I'd give it a much higher recommendation. As it is, I give it... You know what? No, I, I give it a four for writing, a four for art, and I give it a one for dynamic because it's tied into Empire. I have to agree. I think it worked better just as a regular Fantastic Four story. But if you came here expecting anything, like, well, I mean, yeah, maybe those kids have something to do with it, but... I love Valeria and Franklin Gambling. <laughs> well, it was kind of nice to see Valeria... Is it Val- Valeria? Val- Valeria to fail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? To get something wrong. I really love Hickman's stuff, but his Valeria was kind of... Yeah, and the thing in Johnny, the dialogue in it was great. Richards, Richards is tolerable, but that's as good as you're going to get with me with Reed Richards is for me to say he was tolerable in this. Cause to shave that beard. It, it's my, all Richards fault. Well, yeah. Yeah. My only complaint about that, this issue, and it wasn't really noticeable overall, is I think it had two artists on it. Did it? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I, hard, I, I did not notice if it did. The only time I noticed it was with Ben Grimm, the thing. Because one artist's Ben Grimm thing was like, his head was like the size of my pinky, and his body was huge. And the other one drew Ben more like what I expect the thing to look like. More like, more in line with your expectation. Okay. Well, like, you know, his head should be, it shouldn't be that small in comparison to his body, and he had the, the ridge and stuff. But anyway, it was minor because, like, everybody else... It was hardly noticeable that it was two artists. The I didn't thing, catch it at all. The thing really stuck out to me. Okay. For a good Fantastic Four story, you recommend it, but it's just not doing it for either of us on the Empire end. I would say for a satisfying Fantastic Four story, yeah, yeah. it works. 
But as far as an empire tie-in, uh, unless those kids, those the crease kid and the, I, I guess we should explain there's there's a a Cree and a scroll kid kids that were being used in like a gladiator casino situation where they right. bet on them. Yeah, right. As you said, I can only if uh, if those kids. Have, end up being pertinent to the the empire story okay but otherwise i I would say you could skip this entirely if you're interested in empire i don't see ben graham and johnny adopting them (laughs) next up on the marvel side we've got marvel x number four writer jim kruger and alex ross artist well b who's well b he's the artist on it she who who is really this individual I don't know. It, it looks like, like a, Kruger's That seems like line. a super fake editorial name. Okay. All right. Look, we put up with Frank Whiteley over the years, so let's just <laughs> accept that this individual's name is Well B and move on. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Frank Whiteley's not the real name either. <laughs> Did you really want to know what his real name is? Albert. Do you? I knew. I mean, it's out there. I knew it at one time. I just. I think he's a Serbian, and his name is, as I mangle this name, Velibor Stan- Stanojevic. Frank Quietly's real name is that? No, no that's well B. Well B. Frank Quietly is a Scot. I was about to say, I was like, that man's Scottish. <laughs> he's not He's not Serbian. <laughs> <laughs> that man's name Scottish. Was like and he's like Vincent or something like that, I thought. That man's Scottish, and he's going to great lengths to hide it. <laughs> Vincent Dygan, yeah. Well, what do you think of Marvel's X number four? Eh, I don't know. Like it's real, it's good, but I just I don't I don't know. I'm much more engrossed in it and enjoying it far more than I did the original Earth X series. The characters seem more true to themselves and grounded than they did in the Earth X stuff that follows. It it had more of a heroic feel to me. I really did actually just enjoy reading this issue when I know as cheesy as it was when Spider-Man shows up and falls right into Craven's trap and then the Avengers and all show up. I just really liked that. It It's callback to classic comics, and I enjoyed that. I gave the overall score a four. The art fits it well enough. I wish the art was a little more dynamic or something, but if it did, it wouldn't fit into the genre that they're trying to get it to fit in yeah i mean they're doing the earth x style art in this yeah it was a good issue the story overall has been like i said much more engaging speaks to me more than the earth x stuff did i read all of earth x and man i gotta tell you i just didn't care (laughs) well i I like the original just earth x i like a whole lot the universe x and paradise x it just sort of kept going way way too long yeah it did and it just kind of dragged on what was your score on it Uh, i gave it straight threes Strike threes? Yeah. Yeah, I'm between three and four on it. I just went with four because you know what? I enjoyed it. Is it worth your money? The mini's been very good overall. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really is. It's just a little it's bit a of a lull, lull as far as me personally. It doesn't really hurt the main series overall. It's just sort of Thanks. lull. Rounding out Marvel this week, X-Force number 10 by Benjamin Percy writing it. And Casada is the artist, not Joe Casada, but who? Joshua Casara. Joshua Kassara. Joshua Kassara. Okay. X-Force number 10, the X-Men 
book that came out this week. And now we've kind of been back and forth on X-Force, but we've been solid that the writing's good. We just, sometimes the art comes and goes with us. And uh, we're picking right back up off of, uh, in this storyline, Beast has made a horrible mistake again. (laughs) His mistake has led to a sentient spore turning an entire country into plants because he was trying to thwart that country from doing the equivalent thing that Krakoa was doing. He didn't want the competition, so he took it upon himself to do this on the QT, and when it gets out of hand, he sends in Wolverine, Domino, and Quentin. That doesn't go well for Wolverine, Domino, or Quentin, and so then he sends in Black Tom. And that doesn't go well for Black Tom, who gets weirder by the moment, by the way. It's a fun weird. Is that what you would call it, Albert? Yeah, I guess that's a good description. I, for I it. mean, you're you're curious. It's not the same Black Tom, but they're making clear that you know it is the same Black Tom. But his mentality has been drastically affected by his connection to Krakoa, the island. So, in the process of Beast losing contact with everybody, he continues to send in Jean Grey walks in on him and reads his mind right off the bat, figures it all out. You got to appreciate, boy, Hank McCoy, the Beast. He has a never-say-die attitude when he tried to turn it around on Gene like, perhaps I should be the one upset at you for invading my mind. (laughs) (laughs) And Gene, Gene is about to rip him apart. So she goes in, and between her Black Tom and uh, Quentin, they manage to resolve the situation by the skin of their teeth. Also, Gene's decided she can't hack X-Force. She doesn't like it. She doesn't like the secrets upon secrets. She has huge moral problems with this, you know, like anybody would, especially dealing with Beast in these situations. Look, this is just a well-written, entertaining piece, and for all the moral problems Jean has with the politics of X-Force, she discusses them at length as she straddles Wolverine in a hot tub naked. <laughs> Bonus. <laughs> You think Professor X is making everybody have be a bunch of swingers? I don't and sort know, of pushing them, just sort of. I don't think you had to push Gene onto Wolverine that much. And let's face it, Cyclops is a cuck, has always been a cuck. <laughs> and you know, now it's just now we're on Fantasy Island where it's okay. Admit your cuckiness to everybody. <laughs> That's it here, boy. They're really pushing. The sexual aspects of the X-Men that Claremont and Byrne always kept in between panel or has clever wording here and there. Well, Professor X wants to breed super mutants, so... Well, you think, is that the whole... I read somewhere, what was it? They're, they're trying to get to post-mutant situation before humanity gets to post-humanity? Yeah, he's probably like looking around being like, well, the, the best mutants to make power-wise are these people, so he's going to try to push it all together. He does it very subtly. He doesn't like say, hey, go have sex with this person. It just pushes them in the room together. Well, the first time we saw everybody celebrating, there's been wordage between Wolverine and Cyclops. And then Wolverine has the line about Colossus in this. And Gene agrees. The Summer's house set up on the moon, the interconnecting bedrooms between Wolverine, Gene, and Scott. You get a sense of something similar going on with the New Mutants quadrant. Yeah. On Krakoa, but they don't actually say, but it's clear that Ileana, Sunspot, Karma, Wolfsbane, Danny, and Doug are all 
living together in one house, in one complex. And then the new mutants wannabes, the X-Force and everybody else, are in their own little hubs, like basically across the street. It's a weird... I'm trying to figure out, what is the payoff to this? <laughs> Where is Hickman going with all this? I don't know. Like I said, it's all mutant breeding stuff, and Professor X is involved with it, and Sinister's telling him what needs to be done to get this and that. And... Sandra, why are you not reading this? <laughs> you know, I got behind. I mean, I love Hickman's stuff. Can we just call Scott Cut Clops now? <laughs> and you know, allegedly, Scott is supposed to be one of his favorite characters. I don't know why all this is going on. I've had problems with Cyclops the majority of my time reading X-Men from the time I was a kid forward when he walked out on Madeline and we didn't know Madeline was a clone of Jean and none of that makes a difference. When Cyclops got a phone call that Jean Grey was alive, he just didn't even grab a bag. He just walked his butt right out on his wife and newborn son. Mm Mm-hmm. I have never, first off, I wasn't, well, I wasn't Cyclops' biggest fan because he was diametrically opposed to Wolverine. And I was Wolverine's biggest fan. And then to see him walk out on his wife and kid, I did not like that at all. Did not like that. Now, over the years and into adulthood, I I just come to appreciate him as a character. He's a character. He's got these flaws. This happened, this happened, this happened. And when he's written well, I enjoy him. He's being written well in all of this. It's just that clearly he defers to Wolverine in certain situations. I don't know. I'm like you. The X-Men, my X-Men were giant size X-Men slash all new X-Men 94. Psych was the only one that was left. Everybody else left. He was, I guess, the least interesting to me at that time. And then, of course, everything went on with the Phoenix and this, that, and the other. And then the thing with Maddie, like you said, that was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) And I think that's part of the character, though, was he was always written to be the straight guy for so long. Well, he was was supposed to be the Reed Richards Captain America equivalent. Right. For the X-Men. Instead, what that turned him into was a very boring individual with a somewhat boring power set and nothing to set him apart from the others. However, over the years, he's very much become his own individual. Mm-hmm. So, Albert, any takes anything to offer on any of this? Outside of just leading the film team, he really hasn't done anything. Character-wise, there's been no advancement on him. Well, what do you think about the blatant Wolverine? I mean, they just wanted to drive the point home that Wolverine and Jean Grey are having sex. Yep. Professor X isn't pushing everyone to do some stuff. Cyclops is going to be done with it. I don't understand why Submariner is not on Love Island. (laughs) (laughs) I was about to say, the way it sounds like, I mean, it would just be, you know, he'd be, they'd be crowning him the king right away. And then, as usual, the rest of the story would get sidetracked because he's like stealing every scene. And it may not be anything that Professor X is doing himself. It could be something the island's doing. Yeah, it may not be Professor X. It may not be Magneto. I don't think it's Apocalypse. God, I'm dying to know. We have not seen Moira since this. Uh, since no, House we haven't seen her. We've only got hint. They've only hinted around it outside of maybe one or two things concerning Mystique and Destiny. That's been it. I assume that's, seen- that's one of the huge, the biggest plot points of the whole thing is that eventually Mystique's going to have enough of it and want her back some way or another. Yeah, and yeah, this is this is going to turn the island on its ear. Have we seen or heard from Layla Miller? 
No. Is there a reason? Not that I'm aware of. Yeah, I haven't either. I've been watching out. She was always, out of all the Bendis created characters, I really did like her. I really liked her when Peter David took her over. And so I'm just curious where Layla Miller is and all this. And we don't know what happened to X-23, Morph, and the other individual that went into the uh, time distortion building of the Master Mold Sentinel. They've got a lot out there that I want to find out about that keeps me coming back. And, and these are, it's entertainment. And this book is entertaining. So I, I still highly recommend it. I gave this one fours across the board. Albert, what about you? Yeah, I like the dynamic of three, but the writing and art I gave it four. Cool beans. Okay, let's round out the comic books this week. Uh, there wasn't a lot out there from the independents that weren't already in the middle of the story. And I absolutely refuse to talk about Money Shot anymore. Thank you. <laughs> How do you know what money? <laughs> I listened to the podcast. <laughs> okay, there we go. <laughs> Alienated number four, writer Simon Spurrier and artist Chris Wild Goose. If you're not reading this, you're missing one of the best written, most original comics in a decade. The writing and art are hand in hand, and you don't know what's around the next corner. Spurrier has created a contemporary work of science fiction that goes beyond its own genre, and the characters are multi-layered, fascinating characters, and they're very, very human, and this is this is a hell of a book, and I don't know why somebody has not already signed it up to run on Netflix or, well, you wouldn't run this on Disney Plus necessarily, but uh, one of the streaming services. This would be if Apple TV signed a deal with Simon Spurrier and put money behind this book, this would be one of the most talked about streaming series ever. I'm enamored with this book. Yeah, this this book is fantastic. As far as like what's going on, we really don't know what's going on yet. And we got some sort of a concept, but we're so caught up in each of these individuals. They're yeah. so, you can't call any one of these kids evil. They've got serious problems and they're causing serious problems, but it's hard to point the finger at any of them and say, you, you are responsible for this. There's an alien trapped in the middle and I don't want to go into very much detail because it gives away too much. It's an original concept. I keep trying to think of something. The closest you can come is it's E.T. in as much as three kids find an alien. But that's where the similarities stop yeah. to anything else that you've ever seen or read. This is an extraordinary piece. The character design in it is extraordinary. I, I cannot emphasize the originality enough. If you're not in on this, you need to be in on this. And you need to hammer home with your comic book shop to get reprints of Alienated 1 through 3. If they're out and Alienated number four came out this week, I gave this book straight fives. I gave the writing a five and the art and dynamic probably four. I'm in love with this book. It's a as great of, book. I yeah, has of this issue. Like yeah. it's, it, it, they have done a very good job in the first arc where it's mostly just the characters. Yeah. Like we really don't know what the deal with the alien is yet or anything like that. It's just, just it's there, you know? Yeah. Well, it, it's there and it's these things are problematic, but... I think Sice Burrier is one of the underrated. He's all, For some reason, he's always been underrated, but he is funny and, like you said, amazingly originally imaginative. He did Legion, which I think inspired them to do the TV show. I mean, that was just 
yeah. an amazing book, Legion was. And he did a mini series, if I remember correctly. I'm trying to think what was the name of that mini series. But it had Dr. Nemesis in it. And it was hilarious. It was just awesome. I, so, I want him to continue with the original work. This stuff he's turning out is alienated. Yeah. I feel toward it like I do once in future. It, it came out of nowhere. I wasn't expecting it, and I'm highly entertained. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I, more entertained than I am by most of the superhero stuff at the moment. And yeah. that says a lot, that he's able to capture your interest and engross you. Yeah. This rounds out the comics for the week. Now we're going to talk about Hamilton. <laughs> Alexander Hamilton, the musical on Disney+. Plus. Did we all see it? I watched it. I did too. Uh, Albert, this was at your suggestion. I, I would have never thought to suggest this, but what made you suggest us review it this week? Well, it was something new to watch. And when I suggested it, I hadn't watched it yet. I figured, like, well, we can all watch it. And, you know, oh, something cool. to talk about at least. What'd y'all think? It wasn't quite what I expected. What'd you expect? I'm not sure, but yeah, I liked it. I thoroughly oh. enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Yeah. I honestly didn't think I'd care for it much at all, but it's very well done. Because when you watch it, it works pretty good as far as watching a live performance because you're not supposed to really be blown away by the production of it because in reality, it's just a stage that's got a rotating center and you get what? Some desk and some chairs and some boxes and that's pretty much all the props. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, it's just people in costumes performing. There's nothing to distract from the performance. It doesn't need anything to distract from. I thought all of the performances were very strong throughout the entire three-hour ordeal. Three-hour ordeal? (laughs) Two-hour, 40 minutes. It's two hours and 40. I think it's really close to about two hours and 30. (laughs) I have long wondered why there wasn't a Hamilton film, because it had been so popular. Or at least PBS Great Performance or something, because I've, I've heard so much about it, and I thought, well, I kind of like to see it. Well, this more was... than likely, the, the guy that created the play and wrote it, and he did the whole thing, he probably had offers left and right for it. So every week, the offers probably went up higher, so he may just wait until there was only one one company left that would pay him what he wanted for it, and it meant to just filming them do a performance. Yeah, yeah but $75 film... million for the uh, broadcast rights. Did they? Wow, I did not million. know that. Well, I'm sure they earned it back. That footage is from a performance, like, I think in 2016. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's had this ideal for a while. The footage could also be from multiple performances. Obviously had to be at least one private performance, because the cool thing about it was it still looked like a play. I mean, it was obviously like a recording of a play, because if you were out in the audience or the camera was out in the audience and you got those long shots, but then they must have had a private performance where the camera was actually on the stage, because you got a few closer shots. I was going to say, not like a movie where you were getting like close-up close-ups, but much closer than the audience shots. Well, the reason I assumed it was done over multiple performances because Netflix has been buying pretty heavily in the stand-up routine to last year. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that stuff's edited together over multiple nights. It's just a comedian's wearing the same exact clothes every night, and he's on the same stage, the same set, and they just edit together the best takes and views of everything. I could see them doing both with this. As we're talking, I'm playing it silently in the background and been watching the choreography, and it's fairly seamless. It's not a one-camera shot, but it's fairly seamless in all of its transitions. What I like most about this was when we started off, we started off with this hard rapping 
opening. I'm I'm not a big fan of rap. I'm not a big fan of country music either. I thought to myself, uh, is this all we're going to get? Is this is is it going to be like this over and over? The modern major general sort of speak. No, it wasn't. It moved up. The progression of the music went with the progression of the story and was actually part of the storytelling. I thought that was just absolutely brilliant the way they used that, the way they transitioned from point to point. The song, My Shot, Not Going to Lose My Shot. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, yeah, the main yeah. song is the evolution of that through the three different acts of it was just very, very well done. Even though Disney had been working on the rights to this since last year, I think the timing of the release was just absolutely outstanding. And what I like most about this is watching this. I know that this is the only way my 15 year old niece is going to ever want to research any of the Founding Fathers or any American history whatsoever. It's speaking to an entire generation. From the casting to the musical choices to the content that they use, you're not going to get everything accurate in a Broadway musical about a man's life that takes place over the course of, say, 50, 60 years. But the major touch points, all historical, it's accurate. There was one point where... Hamilton says to Lafayette, and when you fight for that independence, we'll be there. And when he said that inside the musical, I thought, wait a minute. No, 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 no. Hamilton was with Washington and did not want to go to the aid of the French during the revolution because they had no king. They had no leadership. They didn't know. And I thought, ah, so they've, you know, they're just trying to make him out to be more of a hero than he was. And it turns out, no, they picked that right back up. There's a whole discussion between Jefferson, Hamilton, and Washington in it where Washington decides, no, we're not going to go aid the French. Jefferson calls him out on Hamilton's relationship with Lafayette. So they are historically accurate on what counts throughout all of this, and they reach a younger audience as well as an older audience that no public school or private school, for that matter, history teacher is going to be able to reach in this way. Because of this musical having lack of props and sets. Yeah. This will be school production stuff forever. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Any school has this stuff laying around anyway. Hell, the, I'm looking at it now and it's barely set dressing. It's basically a bare open theater stage. Like you said, the biggest thing about this is that the theater floor rotates. Any school could do this. You know, costuming would just be the only thing. Hell, any school left that actually has an arts program left. I was engaged in this. I've watched it twice. Really? Um, yeah. I very much like this. I've downloaded the... Uh, it's, very, it's very good, and I wasn't expecting to care for it. Pretty much from the start, from the first 15 minutes into it, once you're in it, you're just in it for the whole thing. And it doesn't feel like it's two and a half to two hours and 40 minutes because it's just constantly is moving from scene to scene and song to song. It, it goes by really, really fast. Oh, and King George. King George. Oh, absolutely. I love him. I love him. <laughs> he is absolutely hysterical. He gets three songs in it. The whole thing was, who? John Adams? <laughs> that little man that tried to talk to me that time? And I... <laughs> That was hilarious. <laughs> and I mean, you could, he told you everything you needed to know about George if you just looked in his eyes. Yeah. Yeah, the unstable, what was the line in the song? I'll bring a whole armored battalion to remind you of my love. That's right. Yeah, it was always about, I love you, so I'm going to kill you. Things yeah, like that. I'll kill you. I mean, I thought that was perfect, Jim, to have 
George III's first number be basically a quote-unquote love song in a creepy every breath you take by the police kind of love song. Yeah, that you'll be back. You'll yeah. be back. And now the one thing I didn't and I and I told my wife this. I said, "Well, it wasn't exactly like Jefferson was on vacation in Paris." <laughs> oh, and that was my my second favorite character I think was Jefferson. He just stole all his scenes and he was very witty and clever. And of course they cast the perfect people for this. They cast uh, I mean beautiful voices. Every yeah. single one of them could just blow anything off. Love George Washington. Loved, yeah, yeah, yeah love George Jefferson. Washington was very, very good. But Hamilton, Hamilton himself, there's nobody else. None of those, none, and credit to the entire cast and crew, none of them could carry it like Lin-Manuel Miranda did as Alexander Hamilton. He was extraordinary. And his voice, something about his voice that was so understated that played right into the character. I thought he did a great job, but, I mean, because he was the glue that was in the main lead. I mean, he, yeah. was, he was the one that was holding all the, the, the play together, but he was actually my least favorite character. I'm not knocking his performance or anything. I'm just saying the character yeah. was my, my least favorite character. King George I th- was still in scenes. Jefferson. That was the whole point of King George. The male characters are all like government, military-type guys. They all got the standard suits on. They're all very firm and strong characters. Were masculine, King, yeah, very masculine. Where King George is, is more of a a character character, like he's sort of there, you know, the break the scene up, the, the, the add a little a little bit more flair to it, a little a little bit more color, just to sort of sprinkle it in there to get to break the rest of it up a little bit. Why are they changing? And then when he realizes. When he realizes who the president be, he's, and, the, and you'll tear yourselves apart. apart. And then he, right before he finishes that, he jumps up and down with glee and claps his hands. Yeah, <laughs> he's just hilarious. <laughs> when Washington left, he didn't die. When he left, he was like creeping around in the back, just couldn't wait to get up there to do his little gleeful dance. What was the line he said? I wasn't aware you could do that. Yeah. Washington's walking away from power. I wasn't aware you could do that. (laughs) And the reality of it is, and uh, let me find the exact quote. King George said to Benjamin West after learning George Washington was going to resign as commander of the Continental Congress and as uh, returned to Mount Vernon after his presidency, was that act closing and finishing what had gone before and viewed in connection with it placed him, Washington, in a light the most distinguished of any man living, and that he thought him the greatest character of the age. Yeah, that was the King George quote, that he could not, he absolutely could not believe that George Washington gave up that power and walked away from it. And he was completely perplexed by the fact that every four years there was going to be a The attention to detail, the attention to history, and the performances in it were outstanding. And there's a poetry, I hate to say it, there's a poetry to Hamilton's life because his son Philip was killed in a duel. And the witnesses to that did say that he raised his gun in the air. Now, the Hamilton situation is a little bit different. While in the Broadway play that we're watching on Disney+, Plus, Hamilton, for all intents and purposes, looked as though he was going to raise his gun in the air. The reality of it is, is both Hamilton's people and Burr's people have different accounts of who drew first 
and Hamilton's gun did shoot a limb down over Burr's head. But we don't know if that was a result of Hamilton lifting his gun in the air or a result of Burr getting uh, the shot off first in reality. But in this, they were portraying him as wanting to raise his gun in the air to shoot. In his letter to his wife, one of the things that bothered him most about having to do this was if he died, who would pay his creditors? He did not want his creditors to be out their money that they had lent him. And of all things. Yeah, really? and, but that that's the reality, not the, you know, the Broadway play does not go into his creditors. <laughs> <laughs> They did delete two F-bombs out of it, which I'm kind of give or take on. The way they did it was artistically, it worked. You didn't really notice it, or you wouldn't know if you hadn't already listened to the soundtrack whether or not they were supposed to do that. I yeah. noticed one, it was where they had left the word out. But I, yeah, the other you, one, I don't think I, I remember. It was one in song to his mistress, or about his mistress, which uh, the F-bomb directly related to the situation. And then the other one they edited was his was reaction. When George, George Washington, was it? No, his reaction to the Adams presidency. Okay, okay. Yeah, and you can't really tell that they do that. They very heavily imply what we, he was going to say in the song regarding his mistress. So. Yeah. I thought this was enjoyable. I, I very much liked it. I thought this was enjoyable. I very much liked it. I've sat through this twice. And got the soundtrack. So, yeah, I'm clearly a fan of Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, I, rec I recommend it to anybody, really. It's it's very well well done and really, really good. Every public high school should show this in their history class. In some ways, it kind of reminded me of that Romeo and Juliet with DiCaprio and Claire Danes from the 90s. Weirdly enough. Yeah, I remember that. God, yeah, I, that, that crap was all over MTV and everywhere back then. But it, it did the same sort of thing where it took something quote-unquote classic and gave it a modern veneer, for lack of a better term, or a modern take, so that it would appeal to a modern audience. Well, they don't even step into the aspect of modernization in this. It's the music. They would slip a slogan or something in there once or twice for humorous effect, like immigrants, we get the job done. Yeah. And they broke the fourth wall like three times in it. Usually he was saying it with Lafayette. And whenever he said it with Lafayette, I was, how is Lafayette an immigrant? He was French and he stayed French. He never was an American citizen. You know, yeah, that's true. He wasn't, but he was, he was there when it counted. And uh, did he not have dual citizenship? I don't, did he? I thought was he dual did. citizenship a thing back then? I don't it, well, Yeah, it, well, actually, the concept of it was it was like free travel. Gotcha. It's not dual citizenship as we understand it, but it was more like free pass to travel. You know, he can travel freely in and out of the ports because he's recognized as a benefit as much as he's recognized as anything else. And I think Lafayette did have something along those lines. No, he no? didn't. Well, first of all, he was a nobleman. He was a marquee. Yeah. So his, it would be almost impossible for him to have dual citizenship. Secondly, okay, I'm, I'm looking at here. It says that he was made an honorary American citizen 200 years after the, after, uh... Well, an honorary American, 200 yeah. years later, okay. 200 years later, so, well, okay, all right, here we go. So the whole ideal of being, of a citizenship is relatively modern. It actually came about this time, I think. 
He was an honorary citizen of Maryland in 1823, as well as Connecticut the same year. Okay. The thing that had concerned me most about Lafayette was the Hamilton saying, yeah, we'll come to your aid. And I was thinking, no, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is, this is a great program. We recommend it for everybody. Families, yeah, there are a couple of cuss words in it. But look, your kids are exposed to far worse. There are no kids that are not exposed to far worse. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, if you don't believe me, we'll get Albert to call you at home and tell you all about Smash Brothers. <laughs> And how your kids should never go to any Smash Brothers tournament ever. In all seriousness, do not let your children go to Smash Brothers tournaments. I don't know how many of our listenership are affected by that. I think that pretty much rounds it up. Now, I can. Let's go ahead and end the podcast with this. Once again, if either of you are wondering, the fastest way to piss people off on Facebook is to threaten to remake The Princess Bride. (laughs) It is heartwarming to me that... No matter what people's opinion are on socio-political matters, if you threaten to remake The Princess Bride, they start threatening you, they start sending you nasty emails, and then when you respond that you're going to personally suggest Justin Bieber be the Dread Pirate Roberts, (laughs) it escalates from there. Oh my gosh, Justin Bieber? I strong, and I hope Miley Cyrus is Princess Buttercup. I'm casting it all in my mind. Right after Don't we hurt my, yourself. Yeah, right after we get the Mayberry project off the ground. <laughs> uh I, I what is it with people in that movie? It was a cute movie, but it's not Star Wars. It's a perfect movie. <laughs> How is it a perfect but not a perfect movie? How is it not? Well, I mean it it's cutesy and all that, but you know, the sets like cost what? Maybe two hundred, three hundred dollars tops? <laughs> so you know, the hallways of the castle, they're basically running up and down the hallways of the Hyatt Regency. Yeah, I mean, Robin Even Wright's if... in it before she's hot. <laughs> and you got Carrie Ewell's in it. He's had a wonderful career doing commercials after that. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Look, I liked it. I liked it when I saw it once. I don't understand the cult following. You don't understand the cult following? To uh, Princess Bride, no. Yeah, but you liked the first Star Trek movie, so... No, I, I sat through the motion picture. That's not Star what you Trek. told me in private. You, Wait told, me, I like, like... you told me you liked that Star Trek movie better than you liked Star Wars. Wait a minute. No, no, I did not go that far. <laughs> it's a classic movie, a, a classic 80s movie, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, to me, it's kind of like, how could it not be a cult movie? It it's just... not a cult movie, it's just a classic movie. It's a nice, cute sweet movie i don't know why this hit everybody in a certain way and labyrinth did not hit harder because labyrinth ultimately is not a good movie okay ultimately this isn't a great movie. <laughs> princess bride whatever, whatever. It, it, look to me labyrinth was about as good of a movie as princess bride was oh my gosh no no and i loved labyrinth Labyrinth is there for to watch David Bowie and Henson's handiwork, and that's really it. It's not a good movie. And Princess Bride is witty and funny. It's a wonderful movie. And Labyrinth is, I, I really enjoyed Labyrinth, but it's really more like Albert said, if it hadn't been for Bowie and Henson, I don't think Labyrinth would have done I, that well. I'm saying Princess Bride. Well, I mean, Labyrinth Bride. only exists because of Henson. I mean that. I mean it yeah, wasn't like. Period. A, yeah, but I mean, I mean, you, you can't have, you can't say, well, if it wasn't for Henson, well, it is Henson, but that's the thing. Outside of the 
hits and workshop stuff, and I guess Bowie to an extent. The the writing it's not a well written movie, it's not a well acted movie. It's just sort of there for for that stuff, and that's it. Well, I'll admit that if somebody forced me to sit through one of the two movies right now, I'd probably side with The Princess Bride. Simply because I don't think I could handle whatever's going on with Bowie's crotch in that movie at the moment. <laughs> it's a good movie. It's a Got a watermelon movie. shoved down the front of his pants or something. <laughs> he really did. The hell? How did anybody think that was a good idea? <laughs> why, why has Jennifer Connelly not filed a report yet? <laughs> this would never happen in this day of age. <laughs> and thank God. <laughs> uh, let, let's hope they fix the uh, situation from the previous Dune movie with Sting before they remake it. Princess Bride was a good movie. It was a cute movie. It's well worth watching at least one time. But I, there's money to be had here to throw into special effects. A lot of CGI I'm telling you, Justin Bieber is lead. Throw in a few contemporary Bieber songs and Miley Cyrus songs for Princess Buttercup. It's a takeout. Who, who else do we want to cast? We could cast why, David. Why are we? Get, why are we getting? Instead of Billy Crystal, we'll have Adam Sandler. Hey! Oh! oh. Now you are talking. Oh no! Absolutely not. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, you could get David Cross to be Vizzini. So. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you here, Hollywood, you are missing out on an opportunity. This could make hundreds of dollars. Hundreds of dollars. Who would you recast as Inigo Montoya? I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking The Rock. Any... Oh, gosh! Dwayne Johnson is Inigo Montoya. I am in physical pain. Y'all are putting me in physical pain right they probably, now. They, they, they wouldn't pay the money. They'd, be, they'd get Vin Diesel to do it. <laughs> I also want Captain Phasma. Gwendolyn? Yeah. Yeah, I want her as Fezzik the Giant. There, there is no one to be Fezzik. Yeah, she could be Fezzik the Giant. No, no one. There's, there's, there's the no way to do it. The Rock could be Inigo Montoya and... Justin Bieber as the Dread Pirate Roberts. Man, I'm going to start a Patreon for that. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, how far it gets you. Ugh, ugh, ugh. That's going to round out this week. Thank you again, everybody. We did go a little long to release a new podcast, and that was simply because of Fourth of July weekend, and we wanted to give you some fresh stuff. So we hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, like us, love us, let us uh, like us, love us, hate us, let us know. Kingdom Comics at gmail.com, Kingdom Casts, C A S T S, at gmail.com, and Kingdom Comics and Kingdom Casts on both Twitter and Facebook. Get in touch with us any way you want to, and just let us hear from you. I've skipped a couple of listener emails, but we'll get to those next week. Let us know how the sound quality is. Let us know uh, what we can improve on, what we can work on. We really appreciate it. If you enjoyed the show, please do give us five stars. That does help us in our ratings and such. Naturally, it does. And we will be back next week with more comic book goodness. Uh, Marvel Comics floppies should be coming out weekly now, according to their schedule. Is that right, Albert? 
I think I think they're back to the yeah. trying to sort of go back to normal to some extent. Yeah, it was supposed to be starting this week, so we'll see how that works out. So we'll be back with more comic books and movie reviews and just general gossip and fan things to talk about. What we and and. And I, I do want to, excuse my interruption sure. here, but I have to do my plug. The Timely's Greatest, Bill Everett, Submariner, post-war, Omnibus came out this week. And I know all our listeners went out from all the money they saved from those books that you did not recommend. They went out and bought it, right? Of course. Yeah, I bought two. Thank you. <laughs> So, you know, take that to heart. All of those of you who are into greasy, wet Vulcans that smell like tuna in <laughs> banana hammocks. Oh! <laughs> I think I'm going to cut that out because... <laughs> Princess Consuela banana hammock. <laughs> so wrong. So wrong. All right. Well, tell them good night, guys. Good night, guys. <laughs> Well, there we go. Kingdom Casts is owned by Kingdom Comics Incorporated and produced by Stan Daniel and Albert Marsh. No part of this program may be reproduced, replicated, or replayed without permission. Special thanks to Sandra Swindle. Also, thanks to our content contributors, Jason Bean, Tim Bryan, Denise Daniel, Josh Duke, Alex Fitzpatrick, Charles Hickey, Allison Marceau, Mark Adam Miller, and Contrita Olstead. Logo designed by Geoffrey Gwynn. Edited by Stan Daniel. Kingdom Casts is copyrighted 2020. All rights reserved.